0: Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn over to the book of Job, chapter 1, Job chapter 1. We're going to start there in Job, but that's not where we're going to take our text from, it's not where we're going to end up. But I want to remind you about Job's story as we move forward with the message this morning. Job was a man that the Bible called perfect. Now that does not mean that he was sinless, it means that he was mature, it means that he was a man of integrity. Uh, And it says that about him in Job chapter number one, in verse number one, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. That word eschewed means he avoided it. He stayed away from it. He was a good man. He feared God. He hated evil. That means that that God was going to give him an easy life with no difficulty, right? Well, if you know the story of Job, you know that that's not true. In fact, of just, just about the opposite of that is true. It didn't take long for Satan to notice that Job was a man who was upright. And we see that in verse number 9 of Job chapter 1. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for not, For nothing? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? And Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he'll curse thee to thy face. Satan finds a man who's upright. Satan finds a man who is following God. Satan finds a man who is is devoted to God. And I think you know the rest of the story. In a matter of just a a, a few hours' time, Job lost everything that he had. He lost the things that were the most precious to him. I'm sure his wealth was a little bit of something, but he lost not only all of his cattle. He lost his houses. He lost all of his servants. He lost all of his children. Could you imagine getting that news? All of your kids are dead. I couldn't imagine what it must be like to be Job. I think a lot of Christians, good Christians even, get the illusion that once they really sell out to Jesus Christ, once they really sell out for the cause of Jesus Christ, that everything's just going to go nice and easy. Everything's going to be perfect. Everything's going to be good. It's going to be smooth sailing. You you hear a lot of that in the the prosperity gospel, right? You give your life to Christ and he's going to bless you beyond your wildest dreams. You'll have millions of dollars. You'll have fancy houses and cars and everything else, just give your life to Christ, and people give their life to Christ, or at least they think that that's what they're doing, and it doesn't happen the way that the prosperity gospel says that it's going to happen, all of a sudden there's hardships, all of a sudden there's difficulties, all of a sudden there's trials, and they get disillusioned into thinking, what's going on, this is not how it was supposed to be, this is not how it was supposed to end, I want you to turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3 is our text this morning. I'm not trying to discourage you. In fact, I hope this will be a very encouraging message this morning. There's no life like a life that's lived for Jesus Christ. And there's no greater blessing than knowing that you are living as best as you know how for Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand this morning that just because you sell out for Jesus Christ does not mean that life is going to be a bed of roses. In fact, the opposite is very often true. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse number 12, we see this. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Look just a few verses back, and this is where we're going to take our text from this morning in verse number 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. It's a fact of the Christian life that you're going to face trials. You will run up against difficulties. It's what you do with those difficulties and with those trials that's going to determine the course that your Christian life takes. Many of you are going going through trials right now. I've talked with you. I've prayed with you. I know what you're going through. And if you're not going through a trial right now, you're not going to have to wait long. You'll be there. That's the way life goes. It's the way our Christian life goes. You could almost call your Christian life from one trial to the next, right? That's, That's kind of how you can look at milestones. There's a lot of great times in the Christian life. I'm not trying to discourage you this morning. You that have been Christians, especially if you've been Christian for any length of time, know what a life lived for Jesus Christ is and what a blessing it is to be a Christian. If you're not saved, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't know what you're missing out on. You need to repent of your sins and ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and forgive you. And do it today. The Christian life is a wonderful life, but I try, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it and pretend that once you become a Christian, all your problems go away. They don't. If you're not in a trial right now, you're going to be in one soon, and if you're not in one soon, you probably just came through a trial. I don't know what's on the horizon for us as Christians. It may be out-and-out out persecution. It's not something that's been unheard of throughout history for those who have claimed the name of Jesus Christ. That may be coming for us. I don't know. Maybe that you just face the trials of life, but no matter what, we're all going to face it. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. The title of the message is simply this, Perilous Times Will Come. Perilous times will come. What I want to preach to you about this morning is what do you do when you face those trials? What do you do when you face those trials? Let's pray, and then we'll look at a few things from this passage this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I do thank you. For the fact that we can still take the Bible freely and open up your word and talk about it, share it, give your message. I pray that you'd help us to keep those freedoms for many, many years to come. But God, I pray that you'd help each one of us that are going through trials now or that will go through trials soon to remember the words that we are going to look at here in the Bible this morning. And that you'd speak to our hearts. And I pray that you'd help it to be an encouragement to us to continue to live for you. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to see about going through a trial is this. Don't let it define you. Don't let it define you. So many Christians allow the trial they're going through to define what the rest of their Christian life is going to look like. Right. And they, you know, we come up with all kinds of, of things. You, know, you hear people say, well, he was very useful in the service of God until his mom died. Right? He was, she, she was on fire for God until she got sick that one time. He was a great soul winner for Jesus Christ until his life didn't go the way that he planned and he blamed God for it. You see people's Christian life defined by their trials and by their difficulties all the time. We should not be defined by the trials that we face. You see what I mean? It can be very easy for a trial or a difficulty to to cause a setback in our Christian life and define the rest of our lives. And my friends, that's exactly what the devil is trying to do. If we allow him to use those trials to define us as a Christian, then he's won. That's what he's trying to do is derail us from our Christian Christian life. He's trying to get us away from being everything that we can be for God. That was his express purpose in coming after Job. He was trying to make Job deny God. He was trying to make Job curse God, right? He he said that point blank. He told God that. You take away that hand of protection, he's going to curse you. It's exactly what he was trying to get Job to do. Thankfully, for our purposes, he was unsuccessful in that with Job. But with so many Christians, he succeeds in doing just that. We get to the point where that trial becomes too overwhelming for us, at least the way we see it. And we start depending on ourselves, and we start relying on on our circumstances and all of these other things. And before we know it, that trial has defined our Christian life. Trials should not define us as Christians. Let me tell you, if you're living for Christ in the hardest times of your life ought to be times of rejoicing. Let me explain what I mean by that. Turn over to to 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry, James, chapter 1. Sometimes the hard times are brought on by our stubbornness. They're brought on by our our disobedience to the word of God. And God has to chastise us as our children. And when that happens, those are not joyful times. Those are not wonderful times. And God has to use those things to push us in the direction that he wants us to go. But if you're giving your all and living for God, you ought to rejoice If the devil never bothers you, then he's already got you. Vance Havner said it this way. If you never run into the devil, you're going the wrong direction. Because it's so true. You're going to face those difficulties. The devil does not want you to succeed as a Christian. He doesn't want you to accomplish things for God. And so he's going to put everything in your path that he can put in your path to slow you down, to stop you, to move you in a different direction. Could it be that so many believers face no persecution, no affliction, no opposition by the enemy because they're moving in the wrong direction? Boy, you ought to be worried if you're not facing trials. You ought to be worried if you're not up against difficulties because that means the devil has taken his hands off and said, I don't need to do anything. He's already doing what I want him to do. Right, right. Forward movement always brings friction and anything God ordains, Satan opposes. Obedient servants of Jesus Christ are always going to face opposition from the enemy. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 9. For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. God opens a door and you walk through that door, you're going to face opposition. God opens a door and you don't walk through it, you're probably not. It's a good thing to go through those trials. It's a good thing to face those persecutions. Is it fun? No, but it's a good thing, and you ought to rejoice because God is doing something in your life. James chapter 1 and verse number 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trial of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Count it all joy when you go into those trials. That means God is doing something with your life. That means the devil is trying to oppose you because of what you're doing for for God. Don't let that trial define you. Too many Christians have faced a trial and let it knock them out of the race. You're not defined by how big the trial or how difficult the journey. You're defined by the God you serve and the way you rest in him. That's what ought to define our lives. Don't let it define you. Secondly, I want you to see this. Don't let it sideline you. Simply put, I mean this, don't quit, don't quit, I, I used to laugh all the time because when we did book reports in high school, one of the pieces of the grade was that you had to tell what you learned from that book, what was the lesson of the book, right, and we always had to read a biography, You had to be about a person, and you always tell when somebody didn't read the book because the lesson that they learned from the book was don't quit. I'm, you know, I'm thinking, okay, obviously, they wouldn't have wrote a book about this person if they quit halfway through the process and didn't accomplish anything, right? So the reason they're writing a book, the reason there's a biography about this guy is because he didn't quit, right? He kept going through perseverance. They, didn't, they never wrote a book about somebody who was halfway through discovering something that they never discovered, right? Don't quit. And I got to the point, I taught English for 10 years. When I was an assistant pastor down in Chesterfield, there's a school down there. It's where my kids go to school, and, and I taught for 10 years, and I taught bunch of English classes, and I finally got to the point where the the kids that were doing book reports, I had to tell them, you cannot use Don't Quit as a lesson that you learn from this book. Find something else that you can learn as a lesson. Because they wouldn't write a book about these people if they quit. But I'm going to use it. Because the thing is, you can learn a lot of lessons from these people who have books written about them because they did not quit. They continued on. They faced difficulties. They faced hardships. They faced opposition to whatever it was that they were trying to accomplish, and they didn't quit, and they went through. They pushed through those things, and they came out on the other side successful. The reason people are remembered from history is because they didn't quit. Times got tough. Things got hard. Trials piled up. Tribulations overran them, but they didn't let it sideline them. They just kept on going, and that's what sets apart the successes from the failures. Those who are successful in their Christian life just don't quit. They don't let that trial define them, but they don't let it sideline them either. Our God is bigger than any problem. He's bigger than any of the trials that you face. He's bigger than anything that you can or cannot see. Don't let it sideline you. Don't let it keep you from living living for God. Don't let it be an excuse for backsliding. And so many Christians, well, if God hadn't allowed this to happen, then I'd probably still be in church today. If God hadn't let this happen in my life, then my family would probably still be together and we'd probably still be serving God. People use that as an excuse all the time. Don't let that sideline you. Don't let that be an excuse for why you're backsliding. Don't let it be an excuse for not witnessing for Jesus Christ. Don't let it keep you from being at church and being involved in the ministries. Well, you know, things are difficult right now. and I understand people do go through difficult times. And if you're going through a physical problem where you're in the hospital and you can't physically get out and do things, then I understand sometimes those things will sideline you. But if you have the ability to get out and do something for God, get out and do something for God. Don't let it put you on the sideline. So many Christians go through trial, and they use that as an excuse to to get out of everything that they were doing for God. Well, one of these days, I'll get back into the ministry. No, you won't, more than likely, because when you step out of those things and you're using that as as your excuse, the devil says, I got him where I want him. He's on the sideline, and I'm going to do everything that I can to keep those trials coming, to keep those problems coming, so that's where he stays. I've got news for you. Most people never get back on track. We're never going to have it all together. If you wait until everything's good, it's never going to all be good. There's always going to be a reason why you cannot get back in the race. We're never going to feel up to it. We're never going to stay forever. We're always going to stay forever useless in the service of God if we let those trials and those problems sideline us. Most people who say that they... Can't keep going for God. Or most people who say, well, one of these days I'll get back in. One of these days I'll start serving God again. Most people who say that never get back off the sideline. and never get back in the game. Sure, the sideline is safe from struggle. But I'd rather be in the game and trying to help the team than sipping water and getting splinters any day. I know it's difficult when you're out there fighting. I know it's difficult when you're out there on the, on the court. It's difficult when you're out there on the field. There's struggle. It hurts sometimes, but there's so much more joy in victory when you're out there fighting than when you're sitting on the sideline. There's excitement in the work of the Lord. There's joy in serving Jesus. Don't quit. Get in the game. Turn over to Isaiah 41. I think this is an exciting passage, and we look at Isaiah 40 often. Verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's a great verse. And we use that as an opportunity to say, well, I'm just waiting for God's timing. And we should be. We should be waiting for God's timing. But work while you wait. There is such a thing as active waiting. And that's what we need to be doing for the cause of Jesus Christ. Because when we decide that we're not going to let it sideline us, when we decide that we're not going to quit, look what happens in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse number 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Verse 13. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. What is it that a kid needs most of the time when they're going through something that's scary? They just need somebody there that they know is with them, that they can hold onto their hand, right? What's When a little kid gets scared, what do they do? They come running up there and they wrap their arms around the legs of a parent that they're comfortable with, right? That's what, that's what we need when we're going through a trial. We just need to know that God is there, and he is there. He will give us that strength. He's going to help us through that trial. Don't let it sideline you and stop you from being what God wants you to be. Turn back over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Right here in the same passage, there's there's been plenty of quitters, right? We have examples of them in the Bible. Right here in our text passage, we see in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 10, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed into Thessalonica. Demas was doing something for the cause of Jesus Christ. but He gave up when worldly pleasures overwhelmed him. John Mark, he'd given up when the work got too great in Acts chapter 15. In fact, it caused such division between Paul and Barnabas that they ended up splitting over it. But I think this is so good. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 11. Paul says this, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. What a testimony. He quit. He quit. He got out of it, but he got back in the race. I don't know what he faced. The Bible doesn't really give us a lot of the trials that he went through. It was obviously overwhelming to him. Paul did not want to take John Mark with him because he said he's, he's, he's not profitable for us. But later on, he said, this is the one that I want with me. He came back. He got off the sideline. He got back in the race, and God was able to use him in a great way. We need to take the mindset of the apostle Paul. Look what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse number 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Paul said, I don't care if nobody else is with me. I don't care if I have anybody else to stand with me. I have Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ plus nobody is a majority. You add yourself to his side and you are going to be a victor because he's already won the war. I have a job to do, Paul said. I have a savior that's with me to give me strength. One of my favorite poets is Edgar Guest. He wrote some tremendous poems and one of my favorites of his poems is Don't Quit. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, When the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile, but you have to sigh. When care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a fellow turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. Often the struggler has given up when he might have captured the victor's cup. And he learned too late when the night came down how close he was to the golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out. The silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you never can tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worse that you must not quit. This know also. And in the last days, perilous times shall come. Don't let it define you. Don't let it sideline you. And lastly, I want you to see this. Turn back over to Job 23. When trials come, let it refine you. That's what we see happening for Job. He went through what for most of us makes up our worst nightmares. He suffered tremendous physical loss, but look what Job was able to comfort himself with as he battled those difficulties in Job chapter 23 and verse number 10. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Do you know what that says to me? The gold part is great, but I think the first part is even more important than the last. He knoweth the way that I take. He didn't create us, throw us into this world and say, go figure it out on your own. He's walking through it with us. He knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what we're going through. And he knows exactly what trials are going to make us stronger. He doesn't send and allow trials to come into our lives so that it can break us down and derail us and throw us away in the trash heap of history. He does it so that he can refine us and make us exactly what he wants us to be. Do you know the process of refining gold? They heat that gold up, and it gets to the place where it's all melted, and then the dross rises to the top, and they wipe that dross off. And then they heat it up even more, and more dross rises to the top, and they keep wiping it off. And the way that they can tell when that dross is completely out of that gold, the way that they can tell when that gold is completely refined is when they can see their reflection in that gold. Isn't that an amazing picture of the way that God puts us through those trials? He doesn't do it so that, that he can that he's, you know, cause us pain. He doesn't do it so that he can cause us difficulties. He's doing it because he's trying to refine us. He's doing it because he's trying to make us more pure. And the hotter those trials, the harder those difficulties, the more that dross rises to the top and the more he can take off of it. And I'll tell you this, when they're refining that gold, they don't just turn up the heat and walk away. If you turn that heat up too hot, you can ruin an entire pot of gold. They have to watch it. They have to make sure that that temperature doesn't get any hotter than it should be getting in order to make that dross rise to the top. And if that's not exactly the way that it is with Jesus Christ, with God, when he works us through trials, he's standing there. He's watching us in the flames. He's, try, he's not going to make us go through something that's harder than what we can handle, Right? There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which ye are able, but will with that temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. He puts us through those trials so that we can come out on the other side like gold. Here's what I know. You're going to go through the fire. If you live godly, you will suffer persecution. Life lived for Jesus Christ is not going to be easy, especially as we move closer to the appearing of Jesus Christ. But can I give you three things quickly for when you're going through the fire? Number one, seek to understand why, but know that you may never know. Nothing wrong with asking the question, why? Jesus asked that question. Why hast thou forsaken me? Nothing wrong with us asking that question, why? Why are you putting me through this trial? And it's not a, I guess it's maybe how we ask that question. If you're asking it accusing him, then that's one thing. But if you're saying, why am I going through this? Do I need to to refine something in my life? Do I need to get something out of my life? And if that's the case, then please show me what it is. If this is to make me stronger, then please help me to come out stronger on the other side. Sometimes God gives a reason and it becomes clear why we had to face what we had to face. And those are always helpful, but sometimes God marks across our days, we'll explain later. We may never know in this life why God caused us to go through something. We may never understand why God allowed us to face that difficulty in that trial. We just have to trust that he knows what's best and that he's only going to give us his best. Amen. God does not toy with our lives. Amen. We're not little mice or little rats in a, in a test. He's not... Poking us to see how we're going to react. He's not poking us to see, well, I wonder what this does. I wonder if I'd do this to them, what would happen? No, God knows exactly what we need, and he doesn't play around with our lives. He's trying to get us to a purpose. Seek to understand why, but know that you may never know. Second thing is this, allow it to do its work. Turn back over to James chapter 1. We already looked at this verse, but I think this is so crucial in understanding exactly what God is trying to accomplish. Allow that trial to do its work. God didn't just put you there because He felt like putting you there. He's trying to accomplish a purpose. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. He's not just prodding us and messing with us. He's trying to get us to point from point A to point B. And sometimes we don't know what point B looks like, but as we allow God to work in our lives and as we allow God to put us through those trials. Many times it becomes clear what that is. But he says this in James chapter 1 and verse number 4 But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That's what he's trying to get us to. Allow that trial to do its work. And number three, know that you will come out better and stronger if your trust is in the Lord. And that's a big if, because most people are saying, Know that you're going to come out stronger on the other side. Not always. Just because you go through a trial doesn't mean that you're going to come out stronger on the other side. You may come out of the other side of that trial with bitterness and anger and resentment. Just because you go through a trial does not mean you're going to come out stronger on the other side. But if your trust is in the Lord, and if you realize that he's doing that to accomplish a purpose, then you'll come out stronger. Then you'll come out better on the other side. When we understand that our trial was for our own good and for his glory. That's when we'll come out stronger on the other side. In May of 2001, Eric Weinmeier accomplished something that only about 150 people do a year. Climb Mount Everest. I've always loved the idea of mountain climbing and I always thought what a a great thing it would be to go climb Everest. It takes three months to climb Mount Everest. And usually... You you hike up to base camp, you hike back down, you hike up to a base camp trying to acclimate, and then you have about a one or two or a three-day window to climb to the top and back down to that base camp. Eric Weinmeier did that, and that would be great, but 150 people a year do that. The thing that made Eric's achievement so unusual is that he was the first one to do it blind. Eric Weinmeier is completely blind. He was born with some type of disease that by the time he was 13 years old, he did not have any sight left. He didn't focus on what he couldn't do. He made the choice to focus on what he could do. And he went a lot farther than anyone expected. He wrote his own autobiography in a book called Touch the Top of the World, A Blind Man's Journey to Climb Farther Than the Eye Can See. A lot of times we face a choice. Will we allow the obstacles to stop us, or are we going to keep pressing on despite the opposition, despite the trouble? It would be nice if following God always worked out in our favor. Be nice if following God always meant that everything's just going to be perfect and we'll have our nice house and our nice car and our beautiful life and all of those other things. Reality is that many times doing that, doing what's right, requires overcoming obstacles. And we shouldn't expect constant smooth sailing, and we shouldn't expect constant troubles either. Like I said, God doesn't toy with our lives. So when God puts us through a trial, He knows what we can handle, and He's not going to put us through more than we can handle. But instead of focusing on what you can't do for God because of the difficulties and the trials and the opposition and the troubles, why don't we focus on what we can do for God? Well, I've got these physical problems. Okay. What can you do for God through those physical problems? Well, I've got this emotional issue. Okay. What can you do for God through that emotional issue? Well, I've got this spiritual problem. Okay then figure out what the spiritual problem is, get it right, and see what you can do for God. Time is short. I'll start serving God again when all this is over. May never come. When all this is over, may never come. And if the devil knows that all he's got to do is put a little stumbling block in front of you and he can keep you from serving God, he's going to keep a stumbling block in front of you for the rest of your life. It's those who persevere. It's those who push through those stumbling blocks that God uses. This know also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Don't let it define you. Don't let it sideline you. But instead, we ought to let it refine us. Let it make us into exactly what God wants us to be. Let it make us into a nice, pure lump of gold. That's valuable to the cause of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to do for all of us. That's how he wants to use all of us. The question is, will you let him? Will you let him? Or are you going to let that trial, that difficulty that we all face, keep you from being what you can be for God? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the good times in our Christian life. Thank you for the blessings. And there is no greater joy than living for Jesus Christ. But that does not mean that there's going to be an absence of struggle. God, in those struggles that some are going through right now, I pray that you'd help us to push through with the help of God, with the help of Jesus Christ, with the strength of Jesus Christ, and come out on the other side stronger more determined to live for you, more determined to do for you what we can with the time that we have left. I believe we're in the last days. I don't know when you're coming back, but I believe it could be soon. And so, God, I pray that you'd help each one of us to make a determination with the help of Jesus Christ in our lives that we're going to do everything we can to serve you with the time that we have here. Thank you for what you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed.